Welcome to the Pogel Podcast. The Pogel Podcast is a new conversation from the Pogel Project that celebrates innovative educators both in and out of the classroom. You will hear about what inspired them to become teachers and how the practice of student-centered education transformed their classrooms and improved outcomes for their students. Learn how they're innovating outside of the classroom as well. Join us as we think out loud with Pogel educators, researchers, and others working to transform teaching and learning for the 21st century. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Bruno. Bruno grew up in Connecticut and received an A.B. in chemistry from Dartmouth College and a Ph.D. in biochemistry from Cornell University and did a postdoc at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. At UNC, he was a fellow in the Spire Fellowship Program, which combines research support and community service with an emphasis on minority careers in academic science. He was first introduced to Pogel as an assistant professor of chemistry at Guilford College. He is currently an instructor of chemistry at the North Carolina School for Science and Mathematics, a public residential high school for talented students where he uses Pogel to teach chemistry and biochemistry and has introduced the practice to many of his colleagues who now incorporate the pedagogy into their own classrooms. Bruno was named the recipient of the 2018 Pogel Early Achievement Award with a Peach Award in 2018. Well, Michael, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Um, thank you for having me. Okay. Um, well, we're here to talk all things Pogel, but first we'd like to, uh, to get to know you a little bit better. Would you be up to answering a few questions about yourself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So uh, let's, let's go straight to friends and family, uh, the people who know you best. They were asked to describe you with one word. Which word would come up most often? Uh, if they were to just ask me to describe me in one word, I'm going to go with passionate, but I'm not sure that it would be a positive thing. <laughs> well, we don't need to interpret any of these. We just, we just need a simple description. No, that sounds great. I, it's, I think it's good to be passionate. Uh, absolutely. Now, I personally know that you work hard because I've seen you at PNM meetings and I've seen how hard you work. And of course, we are all great and work really hard. But when you take time off, what do you do to decompress? I mean, you live in this beautiful state of North Carolina. Are there getaway spots for you or are there things that you'll like to do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, the, in, we're in a pandemic right now, and the, the coast, the beach has been so important. Um, I love to go to the beach. My family loves to swim. We like to hike, so we've been hiking in the state parks. Um, I try and get outdoors as much as I can. I don't play any real team sports ever, but hiking, running, and, uh, and swimming are critical to relaxing when I'm not yeah. working hard. And, and I like to cook too. I don't know. I, uh, some people know this. Like we, we're, big, uh, we're a big food family. I grew up in a big food family. And so cooking and eating um, and drinking are, um, are big, big parts of my relaxation. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, I, I often think that, you know, we're both located on the, uh, on the East Coast and being on the coast, we had the advantage of the beach on one side, and then we can go to the mountains on the other side. So it's a, it's, it's a great way to mix things up. If you had not become a teacher or an educator or, or even an academic, what would you have done with your life? Uh, that's a hard question because I don't think I 
could have done anything else with my life. I had batted around a bunch of other other ideas. I mean, I do like science. I could have. I, th I think I would have been unhappy in industry. My my fascination um, fantasy has always been to to work in a restaurant. Um, I don't think I would necessarily be good at that. I think what I'm good at is being an educator, and I think it was a good natural fit. So I've asked this question of, of everybody I've interviewed so far, and it was actually a, a situation where someone was describing what I do with Pogol, and they said, yeah, Pogol's kind of neat, but it's kind of weird. And so, okay, that's an interesting perspective, but does that mean that Pogol is really weird? Because I don't think Pogol's weird at all. Or does that mean we as Pogol practitioners are weird? So on a scale of one to 10, uh, one, not at all, 10, Eh, kind of over the top. How weird are you? How weird am I? Yes. Um, I like to think I'm pretty normal, but I'll go with a seven, I guess. Um, I, I, I think getting a PhD makes you a little bit weird. You have to have uh, enough of an intensity to spend five to seven years studying one thing in great detail. Um, and that takes a special kind of oddness. So, so yeah, and I, and I, I don't think that Pogolers are weird per se, but I do think we are a special brand of uh, educator um, who are passionate about the sort of pedagogy and the, and are a little bit nerdy about the way we teach, right? Pogol's a little oh, yeah. bit of a nerdy concept. Anyone who cares enough to reflect on their practices daily and with <laughs> with SIIs and, and it, that's a little, it's a little nerdy. Yeah, I think it's true. Well, I don't really know what the average is at this point, but I will tell you, you were a little bit under the average of the responses that I've gotten so far. So uh, you're originally a Yankee from Connecticut, right? That's correct. With a PhD in biochemistry from Cornell. Yep. And in you the ended city, up city. I don't know if yeah. people, people know that. So Cornell has a medical school in New York city. So the uh, main campus is up in Ithaca yeah. and, the medical school is down in New York City, and so my biochemistry degree is through the medical school. Oh, so terrific! I was yeah. not in Ithaca for very long. I, I spent a couple, about a week every year up there. Yeah, fantastic. Actually, I spent uh, three days in Ithaca, but they were all spent at the um, at the uh, the light source. Uh, we were doing some crystallographic mm -hmm. studies, so I never really got to see much of Ithaca. But I was there for three days. Yeah, it's um, um, it's. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I heard it's absolutely a beautiful place. Yeah, well, I should, should go back at some point. Um, but somehow you ended up teaching in a high school in North Carolina. That sounds like a journey. How did that all unfold? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if I think about it too deeply, it's not that big of a journey. It's, it, it's sort of all a bunch of logical little steps. I had... I went to college in New Hampshire and graduate school in New York City, um, where I met my husband. And I was finishing up my degree, and we'd been in New York for close to a decade, and it was time to decide what to do with our lives as I was finishing up my degree. And I like to say that New York is for the young and the rich, and if you're no longer young and you haven't made it big, it's time to leave. Yeah. Uh, and I had a lot of friends who were entering into consulting or other industry work. Cornell had, at least in the, in the biomedical fields, had a big feed into that. And it didn't interest me. What interested me was, was academia. 
and the teaching aspect. And I had stayed with teaching uh, throughout graduate school. We had no undergrads, but I made it a point to teach uh, high school teachers. So we had outreach programs for high school teachers. So I was always interested in the educational aspect while I was doing my PhD. We were looking for areas to go out of New York City. We had to be a city big enough because we were not country boys, but we were definitely um, wanted something a little bit smaller. And we looked at various areas and the triangle here in the Durham Raleigh area, um, Chapel Hill has a high concentration of biomedical jobs, both in ac academic mm -hmm. and not an and industry. And it seemed like a really good place among others. And it just so happened I studied lipid membranes and there are some big lipid membrane guys down here. And my, my mentor PI knew I've heard of an opening uh, in a lab down at Duke to study lipids, and that's how I ended up in North Carolina. Um, and then I was postdocing. I postdoc at Duke, and then I got a teaching postdoc at UNC. The teaching postdoc is really interesting. It's program specific program was called Spire, but it was funded a series of programs funded through the Minority Office of Research and Education um, at the NIH, and. So I spent three years doing research at UNC as well as learning how to teach and teaching in minority-serving minority institutions in North Carolina. I taught at North Carolina Central University, um, which is here in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and so then after that, I decided I needed to find a, a small teaching school and I ended up at Guilford College. Guilford was hiring a biochemist that's in Greensboro and I ended up um, there for a couple years and uh, to be completely honest I ended up teaching high school because while I really enjoyed Guilford and I'll talk, probably talk a lot about how Guilford and Pogel were how Guilford was integral in getting me into Pogel my commute was too far um, and we were considering adopting a child and so I couldn't be driving 60 miles a day um, I need to look for something closer, and I live two blocks away from the North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics, um, which I'm sure you're going to want to know about. Um, oh, absolutely. Which yeah. is a high school, and and that's how I ended up teaching high school. And I do say, people say, how did you end up teaching high school? Um, I don't really consider myself a typical high school teacher because I'm not at a typical high school. Um, and I went to this school in particular and if it hadn't been this school, I don't know where it would have been. But I'm glad I did it, and I really, really love it. Yeah. Well, that sounds typically nonlinear, I think, for, for one's career and going from step A to step B. And not knowing what step C is going to be, at least. Exactly. In, yeah, I think there are, we all have some stories like that. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. My next question was going to be about the North Carolina School for Science and Mathematics. It certainly doesn't sound like your typical high school. Uh, can you give us some insight uh, into where you teach and who your students are? Yeah, absolutely. So the North Carolina School of Science and Math is a really special place. It is the first of um, a class of residential STEM high schools. We have a consortium. I don't know exactly how many there are ultimately, but we were the first. Um, a vision of our of Governor Hunt, who was a really uh, supportive of education in the 70s and early 80s, and he helped turn a hospital, a defunct hospital, into a residential school for gifted students throughout the state to come and study science and math and technology. And we currently have, we didn't start off this big, we currently have about 680 students 
uh, juniors and seniors, so it's a two-year school, mm. and we draw equally from equal populations from every congressional district throughout the state. So unlike many other magnet schools or STEM schools of our caliber, uh, such as, say, Thomas Jefferson in Virginia, which is near um, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, we draw from the whole state, and we have a, a mandate to educate throughout the whole state. So we draw not just urban students who have who are well resourced but we draw suburban students we draw rural students we draw we have, our students have a very wide background and so our challenges involve taking students who are all talented are all driven towards um towards science and math and meeting them where they are and getting them to take getting interested in science more further interested in science and expose them to real challenging and higher higher level science classes than they would have had at their home schools. We have, um, we teach more, more like college in terms of our laboratories. We have laboratories once a week. They're only an hour and a half because we still are at high school, but they are designed to be college level laboratories. We teach in math, we teach classes I never even took in college, kinds of, of math I can't even, with many different variables and I don't know, they, they teach They teach crazy things in this. And chemistry, we teach biochemistry, we teach organic chemistry, we teach analytical chemistry, we teach a computational medicinal chemistry class. So we take these students and we give, we expose them to real practicing science. And, you know, it's, it's residential, so it's got a real, it's got a real college feel because of that, because the kids are, kids are living on campus. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, and, and one of the great things I love about teaching there is I have not taught at a, at a more typical high school. Um, all these kids want to be there and there is, you know, minimal classroom challenges. The students are all driven. They all, they all want to, you know, get a step up and they're here to learn. And that's a really refreshing experience to have them be so motivated and so i consider myself really lucky to be teaching in this environment because i don't have to i do have to motivate them right some 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 of them don't want to take chemistry but Mm -hmm. in general there's something about school that they're passionate about and so they make for good students no that sounds like a great place uh am i too old to enroll <laughs> uh, y- yes, and you're you're not a resident of North Carolina, yeah, which we're very problem. strict, very strict about being a resident of North Carolina. Um, yeah. But in terms of you know, I said the Pogel people are nerdy. These kids are affectionately nerdy, and they're they get to be themselves in all of their geekdom, and it's really really great. When the kids were um, when the schools first opened, they had to choose a mascot in the '80s, and these these kids chose the unicorn. And so we are the science and math unicorns or unis and the way that these children embrace such a unusual mascot is, is fascinating. And we actually are, we actually do have some pretty good, you think of a nerd school. um, We actually have some pretty good sports, sports teams. We're good at, we're good at tennis. Um, We've been pretty good at baseball this past year Mm. when when we were allowed to play baseball. Um, And so, so there's a so these kids are well-rounded um, and they love to be called the unis. So you you referred to Guilford College in your transition to Pogel. So how did you actually get involved with using Pogel activities in the classroom? I have a suspicion this has something to do with Gail Webster. 
It it does. It does have a lot to do with Gail Webster <laughs> and Rob Whitnell um, okay. and Anne Glenn, who all um, when I got hired to, for Guilford, I like I said earlier in the interview, I had a teaching postdoc, and so I was somewhat taught in active learning pedagogy, and I was using it in the classes that I was teaching at the time, um, though not very well um, and not as structured as, as Pogel. But I was inclined to be more engaged in the classroom than, than just lecturing to begin with. And when they hired me to teach biochemistry and chemistry, some, at some point in the interview, they said, this is what we do. And they strongly suggested that they were going to require me but not require me to do use Pogel, and they were going to send me to a workshop. And so I was on board. I wanted a job and I was inclined to use active learning anyway. And so I was excited to learn about this new technique. And I'm very fortunate to have enjoyed the fundamentals workshop that I went to. I believe it was in Atlanta at Emory. And I fortunately genuinely took to the pedagogy at that three-day workshop. So when I came back and actually started my job at Guilford, I was ready to go. And so my transition was very smooth because I had multiple people who had a syllabus already staked out and a book that they were using and had trained me to do it. And I was a willing participant. And so I had someone there when I had to ask questions about it or get advice about it. There were people there who were, help, were able to help me. And so I was really lucky that the transition went so smoothly. I had activities, but I was fresh enough that I said, you know, pre-poglatic sort of act, other active learning activities. I was like, I'm just going to do this thing that they're, they're making me do because it seems like it works. And that was it. And when I went to science and math, I was only at Guilford for two years. And when I moved to science and math, I said, the science and math were pretty open. We have, you know, we have shared labs and we have shared targets a sort mm -hmm. of shared pacing but yeah. each each instructor teaches the way that they feel comfortable teaching so we have instructors who flip their classroom we have instructors who are really big into problem sets we have a lot of different pedagogies that are being taught at the school and so i could do whatever i wanted really and that was really great and i walked in and i said i, I was very confident i said if you hire me this is what i'm doing and i'm going to do it and they said okay as long as you teach the students what they're supposed to know and so um, I was able to translate that very easily. So to go to high school and teaching AP, I was able to use the materials that I had been using. And that was a pretty smooth transition. Oh, it sounds great. So it's not everybody's experience. I know I lived on a Pogel Island for quite a few years, but that sounds like a, a really nice environment to develop from. Did you have a point in time, you said you were introduced to Pogel at Guilford, but at one point in time in your classroom, did you realize, you know, hey, this stuff really is working, a sort of an aha moment, or was it just the type of thing that just made so much sense that uh, you just kept doing it? Yeah, I did not have an aha moment in the classroom. I don't really ever have aha moments. <laughs> okay. um, I, I might be missing out on something. <laughs> um, I did have an aha moment in the fundamentals workshop when I realized that I was that the workshop was structured as a Pogel classroom without introducing Pogel and that they had secretly used the learning cycle on me to learn what Pogel was and I was like damn them <laughs> um, and and I think that 
that was my poker aha moment. I said, if this worked on me, it has to work in other contexts with students. And so that's why I was so confident going in that it was working. I actually didn't have a lot to compare to in the past. I didn't have, I didn't do much teaching before Guilford. I taught a couple classes on my own and I didn't, and they weren't, I didn't repeat them and I hadn't taught general chemistry. And so I didn't really know, I didn't have anything to compare to, but I knew that this was working. I knew it worked for me. I knew it was working in Guilford. Enough people had signed on to it. There, were, there was good feedback, and so I, I would go. I would say that the closest thing to sort of an aha moment, we, we consider our teaching recommendations to be very important mm-hmm. at Science and Math. And so looking at my teaching recommendations often have these activities are terrible, please do something else <laughs> in them from the students. And some students really like it. And I noticed that when I went from one, we were on trimesters at the time, when I went from one trimester to the next trimester with the same group of students, the complaints about the activities decreased, which is one thing, but the part of the question, what do you like about the class, the activities increased in mention in that. And so what it showed me was the students, whether consciously or unconsciously, realized that this was helping them learn and it was good for them it was not only helping them learn, but it was keeping them active in the classroom, keeping them engaged in the classroom. And it was something that they identified that they liked about the class enough to write about it, yeah. which I think is, is um, anecdotal, but important to, to tell people that this pedagogy is not just something that some nerdy faculty decided it works, but that the students who are being pogalized are actually consciously or subconsciously realizing that it's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you've had the opportunity to teach in high school and college. It's actually a little known fact that I, I actually had the ability to certify to teach high school in the state of Illinois. Uh, I have a master's degree in the teaching of physical sciences. But as I, and I student taught for, um, what was it, 12 weeks. And it was in the middle of that 12-week student teaching that I decided I really wanted to teach in college. I mean, that was, that was my turning point at that point. But in terms of how they're different, I've often thought, you know, if I were to go back into high school, would my Pogol implementations be different? And particularly concerning roles. To me, it seems like roles are, they're important in any classroom, but maybe even more so in high school. What are your thoughts about the use of roles between college and high school? Yeah, so I think I'm not alone in saying that I acknowledge that I don't use roles enough. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of practitioners would say that they don't use roles enough. Um, I do think that roles are critical both at the college level and at the high school level. And I do find myself using them more at the high school level. I don't want to say that the students need more handholding at the high school level. That seems a little derogatory. But at the high school level, they're still learning to learn. They're, they're still learning to learn in, in college as well. But they do need a little bit more help interacting with each other. High school students these days, when I was in high school, we didn't really do any group work. High school students these days are more used to doing group work through grade school, middle school, and it's more prevalent. And so when my students come in, they're used to be working in groups. And I think that the use of roles and and more facilitation is crucial in high school. Because if you just throw four kids together in a group, they're going to get the work done, but they're not going to necessarily 
get the process skills involved while they're doing it without some active facilitation from me. So I finally had to facilitate more in high school than I have in college. And roles do play a, a part in that. They play a part insofar as steering the manager to manage the manage the kids we have a lot of egos at my school a lot of students who are you know they were they're all they all were valedictorians or would have been valedictorians they're all top of their game and they come here and they're in they're a sea of average because you know they're above average compared to other kids you know the whole state but they're 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 in the sea and so they're all competing with each other for the airspace and so having roles where like no i can't listen to you now you're not the presenter someone else has to speak this time can be very can be very helpful um, with this particular population and like I said earlier I don't have a lot of classroom management issues I don't have badly behaved students but having the roles does help keep them on track and keep them from talking out of turn if if and when I apply the roles so the differences between college and high school I find are actually kind of minimal insofar as the the students in high school need to be a little more facilitated. It doesn't come as naturally. They haven't had as much natural maturity to be able to work in groups respectfully. And they need a little bit more, more, more training that I found the college students were able to do that a, a little bit better. Okay. All right. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. So maybe in high school, the capital G and Pogel is a little bit bigger. Uh, they're a little yeah. more guided. Yeah. The, okay. A little more guided and a little bit more, I found also sort of from a content standpoint, I need to bring a little bit more back. We have to have a little bit more discussions about content after the students develop the concepts on their own through the Pogel activities. I have to have a little bit more whole class discussion than I did in college. Okay, so on the Pogel website, it states that you have introduced the practice to many of his colleagues who now incorporate the pedagogy into their classroom. Well, my hat's off to you because I tried for years to get my colleagues on board and I failed miserably. Um, what advice do you have for folks who want to spread, I, have, I call it the wonder of Pogel? Yeah, so first of all, I'm impressed by this statement on the Pogel website because it makes it sound like I have, <laughs> I have gotten more faculty on board than I actually have. And so I sometimes feel like I haven't done enough because my entire department is not using it. You know, the whole department's not using it, but I think that I don't really have any advice in this respect. So I'm I'm sorry to disappoint you. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) What I will say is that I I can tell you how I think I did it, which is um, by example and playing the long game. So when I first got there, I said, this is what I was going to do. And we had actually had some faculty who had gone to a Pogo workshop about a decade or half a decade earlier. And there was, I noticed in our materials, I noticed some Frankenstein Pogo activities where they had taken some activities and somewhere, someone along the line had stripped out all of the, all of the lower level questions and just were, it was not Pogo. They just, I was very upset, but the faculty who'd been there for longer were, were more resistant. The newer faculty who were looking for tools were definitely looking to the faculty who'd been there. And that became me at that point. So I was there for a couple of years. And so the newer faculty were, were looking, were looking for that as well as um, some of the, some of the more seasoned faculty who were looking to, to, to change things up. And they saw that I was getting good results and they saw that I was, um, the students liked to the class. 
Um, part of that's probably me without sounding too egotistical. The students do like me. I am, I am, a, I'm likable in the classroom, maybe not in the rest of my life, but I'm likable in the classroom. <laughs> you're, you're plenty likable. <laughs> <laughs> and so the fact that the students really spoke highly of, of it meant that the other faculty looked towards it. And I ended up getting encouraging two faculty to go to fundamentals workshops. One of that faculty member is currently trying to write her own. Um, she's just mm. an immunology class. There's no high school immunology, yeah. which is, there's no high school immunology really anywhere in the country. There's no high school immunology uh, material. So she's trying to write some of, <clears throat> some of those. Our organic chemist has has purchased some Pogel materials and is using some of it. I've given a workshop. I, I finally convinced my dean to let me give a workshop after about three or four years. And so I gave a workshop to the whole department. And I think so sort of by leading by example and sort of just being consistent about it and talking about it and sharing it and then being helpful without being too intrusive. So one of the things when I had faculty say, I wanted to do some Pogel, you just did this workshop, what do I do? I handed them four activities. I said, these are the four activities that you're going to do once a week for the next four weeks. These are good activities. These are activities that are going to get good results and you're going to be able to facilitate them easily. And so <clears throat> being able to have faculty who eventually were interested on their own, based on my example, I think was what allowed them to say that they could use this. And, and what we have, I have basically two faculty who are using it on a regular basis and then a handful of other faculty who will do several a year, which I think is a pretty good win. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that the quote on the website is fairly accurate. That's uh, certainly more than it's, I was able to do. <laughs> it's not all of them. Uh, that's okay. It doesn't have to be, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And and you know, and and as a side note, one of the faculty when I first got there, she had been there for a long time. She was well loved. She was she she got good results. Her philosophy was pick things that work, and so she would do. She had all the different active learning philosophies and she'd do little little bits and pieces mm. and that worked for her for me yeah. i like the consistency and regularity of pogel right. i like that i get a feedback when i get reviewed always which is make sure you're doing enough different things in the classroom and i think the poke i think that's a mischaracterization of what pogel is just because i do pogel every day doesn't mean that we're only doing one thing there is discussions right. involved there's problems we're working within the activity and we of course do laboratories and so i think the students see that they're not they might think that they're doing something the same every day but they're within the class period they're actually doing a lot of different things sure. and they're using their brain in different ways and so i think that pogel you can be a pure pogler um and still get good results so at what point did you actually become involved with the project not every pogel practitioner becomes involved working in the project when did that happen um so i have to say that it is all gail webster um I believe uh, Gail was on the steering committee at some point while I was sort of getting in, getting involved. I can't remember when she was on the steering committee, but after a couple of years at Guilford, the facilitators training was started and they said, you should go to facilitators training because we think you would be good at that. And so having someone say, you should go for this and we're going to pay for it. I actually wrote an internal grant to get funding for it, but having someone say, you should do this 
was great. And so the facilitators training was critical because I met people outside of Guilford who were interested in the project enough to go to facilitators training and become facilitators. And so I met a lot of people through that, a lot of, a lot of connection through that. I started facilitating. I did a little facilitating um, after I left Guilford in North Carolina, mostly with Gail. Uh, and then a couple years into science and math, when I was sort of, you know, fallen away, Gail called me up again and said, I think you should go to the Pogel National Meeting. I think you should get involved in the Pogel National Meeting. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I didn't do it. And she called me again the next year. She said, I think you should get involved in the Pogel National Meeting. You should go ahead and, uh, and apply. And I, and I did. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. That was where I met even more people who were interested in what I was, what I was doing. And I think it's at that moment when I felt, Hey, I'm in a community. And I think that nagging to put it impolitely, but encouraging to put it more politely from Gail was critical to getting me involved in that, in this group. Cause we're a weird group and it can be a little hard to, a little hard to navigate sometimes. And also because we're a loose, we're a loose group, we're all over the country. The PNM really brings people together. That national meeting was critical for me to see a bunch of people all in one space. Some names I knew. I was actually, Rick is probably going to be unhappy to hear this. I was actually more interested in meeting Laura Trout <laughs> yeah. um, because I had started using her, her history materials um, uh at science and math. And so uh, I was definitely interested in meeting her. And so that's what, you know, that's what I, that's how I got involved in the project. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there the night that you received the Peach Award. Uh, I think it was 2018. Yes. 2018. And yeah. You seem, you seem genuinely affected by that. What did, what did that mean to you? So the, the Peach Award, you know, it, when I when I was nominated again, Gail, who was like, "I'm going to nominate you for this award," <laughs> you know, a lot of us in this field are uh, have imposter syndrome or self undermine, don't think that we're good enough. And I see all of these amazing people who've been involved with the project, both you know before me and then after me, and I didn't think my contributions were that important. Um, and so to have someone else recognize them was really, really special. And I did really appreciate it. It felt, it felt really good at the, at the time. I was like, you know, to be honest, the first thing I was like, oh, this is great for my resume. And the second, <laughs> second thing, you know, then when, when Gail introduced me and then when I had to go through, give, give a thank you speech, it was really important at that point to be validated by a community of professionals outside of my job, right? So it's one thing to get positive feedback from my students. It's one thing to get positive feedback from my administrators. It's another thing to get positive feedback and to get thanked for volunteer contributions in a professional organization that you feel very passionately about. So I was really moved by, you know, the company that I, that I kept. I mean, I want, I won the Peach Award as the high school a recipient with Kristen Plessel, who won mm -hmm. as the uh, post-secondary recipient. Yeah. And I do not hold a candle to 
to Kristen Plessel. Um, and so to be put in the same category as her on the same night was, you know, it made me think that other people thought more highly of me than, than maybe I had thought in the past. Um, and I think the Peach Award in general is really good for the project because it recognizes the contributions that newer practitioners can make and it encourages them to make these contributions. And, you know, it was a, it was, I liked it. It was a highlight. It was yeah. a highlight of my career. No, it was, it was a great night. That's for sure. So I think we have time for one more question. If you had to pick one thing you've learned about teaching, just one thing to share with other educators, what would that be? That is a really difficult question because I have both, I feel like I have nothing to share with educators. I feel like many educators are more better at this than I am. But I would say that the an insight that I have about educating through the po that I got through the Pogel project and through being a Pogel practitioner is the importance of engaging your students throughout the learning day. And so whether you're entertaining them or engaging them or keeping just keeping them awake, it's more important than trying to drill content into them. We're, we're not content deliverers. We are facilitating their learning and making sure that they're actively engaged is critical for them to, for the student, for the students to learn. And as an ancillary, cause you did say one, but I'm going to keep going. Oh, that's fine. Uh, an ancillary to, to that idea of keeping them entertained is over the years, I've learned to really focus on what my goals are as an educator. And at least at the high school level, this might be anathema to some people, but I feel like it's less about teaching them chemistry and more about teaching them how to learn, how to think and how to, and to enjoy science. And so they're not gonna remember how to calculate a KSP or even what a KSP is. Um, I barely know what a KSP is, but it, it's important to get them engaged and thinking. And at, the, at this time in their lives of juniors and seniors in high school, they need to start thinking about what they like. And so my goals are not necessarily to get them to pass an AP exam, although that is important to, that is important in many ways. A critical goal is to get them enthusiastic about science and about learning and to teach them to be better learners because they'll be better citizens that way. And so um, while my job description is teaching them chemistry, uh, these other goals are just as critical, if not more critical. And so always sort of focus on that. And if, if I'm, if I'm losing, if I'm losing content because we had a snow day or a global pandemic or something happens where we're losing content. And if you put it into perspective and say, this is not really what, what it's about, what this is about is getting them to, think and critically and get all those process skills, you'll be a good educator. Michael, I want to thank you so much for being with us and sharing your thoughts about teaching and, and Pogel. And uh, it's, it's truly been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It has been a pleasure to talk about Pogel because it's one of my favorite topics. All right. Well, we'll see you later then. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for listening to today's conversation on the Pogel podcast. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Pogel practitioner Wayne Pearson. Please join us next time as we think out loud with Pogel educators, 
researchers, and others working to transform teaching and learning for the 21st century.